0: soft Story Classic bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Chapter 11 of Joel the Boy of Galilee by Annie Fellows Johnston, recording by Estimons Simonides. What are you looking for, grandfather? Called Jesse as he pattered up the outside stairs to the roof where Reuben stand, scanning the sky intently. Come here, my son, he called. Stand right here in front of me, and look just for our point. What do you see? The child peered anxiously into the blue depths, just now lit up by the sunset. Oh, the new moon, he cried. Where did it come from? Summer hath dropped her silver sickle, though, that night may go forth to harvest in her star fields, as answered the old man. Then, seeing the look of inquiry on the boy's face, hastened to add, Nay, it is the center that God's hand sent swinging in the sky, to remind us to keep the incense of our praises forever rising heavenward. Even now a messenger may be running towards the temple to tell the Sanhedrin that it has appeared. Yea, other eyes have been sharper than mine, for see, already the beacon light has been kindled on the Mountain of Olives. Jesse watched the great bonfire a few minutes, then ran to call his sister. By the time they were both on the roof, answering fires were blazing on the distant hilltops throughout all Judea, for so the whole land was alight with the announcement of the Feast of the New Moon. I wish it could be this way every night, don't you, Ruth? said Jesse. Are you not glad we are here? The old man looked down at the children with a pleased smile. I'll show you something prettier than this before long, he said. Just wait till the Feast of Weeks, when the people all come down to bring the first fruits of the harvest. I am glad your visit is in this time of the year, for you can see one festival after another. The day the celebration of the Feast of Weeks commenced, Reuben left his shop in charge of the attendants and gave up his entire time to Joel and Jesse. We must not miss the processions, he said. We will go outside the gates a little while and watch the people come in. They did not have long to wait till the stream of people from the upper countries began to pour in. Each company carried a banner bearing the name of the town from which it came. A white ox, intended for a peace offering, was driven first. Its horns were gilded and its body twined with olive wreaths. Flocks of sheep and oxen for the sacrifice, long strings of asses and camels bearing free will gifts to the temple, or old and helpless pilgrims that could not walk, came next. There were wreaths of roses on the heads of the women and children. Bands of lilies were tied around the sheaves of wheat. Piled high in the silver vessel of the rich, or peeping from the willow baskets of the poor, were the choicest fruits of the harvest. Great bunches of grapes, from whose purple globes the bloom had not been brushed, velvety nectarines, tempting pomegranates, mellow pears, juicy melons. These offerings of fruit and flowers gleamed all down the long line, for no one came empty-handed up this hill of the Lord. As they drew near the gate, a number of white-robed priests from the temple met them. Reuben lifted Jesse in his arms, that he might have a better view. "'Listen,' he said. The climbed up on a large rock. A joyful sound of flutes commenced, and a mighty chorus went up. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Voice after voice took up the old psalm, and Reuben's deep tones, joined with the others, as they handed, Peace do within thy walls, and prosperity within thy palaces. Following the singing pilgrims in the temple, they saw the priests take the doves that were to be for a burnt offering, and the first fruits that were to be laid on the altars. Yes, he held fast his grandfather's hand as he passed through the outer courts of the temple he was half frightened by the din of voices the stamping and bellowing and bleeding of the animals as they were driven into the pens. he had seen one sacrificial service the great stream of blood pouring over the marble steps of the altar and the smoke of the burnt offering were still in his mind it made him look pityingly now at the gentle-eyed calves and the frightened lambs he was glad to get away from them soon after this time of this rejoicing was over came ten solemn days that to Joel were full of interest and mystery they were the days of preparation for the fast of the atonement disputes between neighbors were settled, and sins confessed. The last day, the most solemn of all, was the only time in the whole year when the high priest might draw aside the veil and enter into the Holy of Holies. With all his rich robes and jewels laid aside, clad only in simple white, with bare feet and covered head, he had to go four times into the awful prisons, once to offer incense, once to pray, to sprinkle the blood of a goat toward the mercy seat, and then to bring out the scents. That was the day when two goats were taken. By casting lots, one was chosen for a second. On the other, the high priest led the sins of the people, and it was driven out into the wilderness, to be dashed to pieces from some high cliff. Tears came into Joel's eyes as he watched the scapegoat driven away into the dreary desert. He pitied the poor beast doomed to such a death, because of his nation's sins. Then came the closing ceremonies, when the great congregation bowed themselves three times to the ground, a high priest shouting solemnly, We are clean! We are clean! We are clean! Joel was glad when the last fight was over, and the people started to their homes, as gay now as they had been serious before. "'Why are we going back to our other home?' asked Ruth one day. "'Why, are you not happy here, my little daughter?' asked Abigail. "'I thought you had forgotten all about the old place.' "'I want my white pigeons,' she said with a quivering lip, as if she had suddenly remembered them. "'I don't want my father not to be here,' she sobbed. "'I want my white pigeons.' Abigail picked her up and comforted her. "'Wait just a little while. I think father will surely come soon.' I will get my embroidery, and you may go with me across the street. Ruth had been shy at first about going to see her mother's friends, but Martha coaxed her in with honey cakes she baked for that express purpose, and Mary told her stories and taught her little games. After a while, she began to flit in and out of the house as fearlessly as a bright-winged butterfly. One day, her mother was sitting with the sisters in a shady corner of the courtyard, when a climbing honeysuckle made a cool, sweet arbor. Ruth was going from one to the other, watching the bright embroidery threads take the shape of flowers under their skillful fingers. Suddenly she heard the faint tinkle of a silver bell. While she stood with one finger on her lip to listen, Lazarus came into the courtyard. "'See what I have brought you, little one,' he said, "'it is to take the place of the pigeons you are always mourning for.' It was a snow white lamp, around which she had twined a garland of many-colored flowers, and from whose neck hung the little silver bell she had heard. At first the child was so delighted she could only bury her dimpled fingers in the soft fleece and look at it in speechless wonder. Then she caught his hand and left a shy little kiss on it as she lisped. Oh, you're so good. You're so good. After that day, Ruth followed Lazarus as the white lamp followed Ruth, and the sisters hardly knew it sounded sweeter in their quiet home, the tinkling of the silver bell or the happy prattle of the baby voice. Abigail spent many happy hours with her friends. One day as they sat in the honeysuckle arbor, busily sewing, Ruth and Jessie came running towards them. I see my father coming, and another man, cried the boy. I'm going to meet them. They all hastened to the door just as the tired Dusty travelers reached it. Peace be to this house and all who dwell therein," said the stranger, before Phineas gave his wife and friends to warm a warmer greeting. "We went first to your father's house, but finding no one at home, came here," said Phineas. "Come in," insisted Martha. "You look sorely in need of rest and refreshment." But they had a message to deliver before they could be persuaded to eat or wash. "The master is coming," said Phineas. "He has sent out seventy of his followers to go by choose into every town and herald his approach and proclaim that day of the Lord's hand. We have gone even unto Samaria to carry the tidings there." "'At last, at last!' cried Mary her hands. "'Oh, to think that I have lived to see this day of Israel's glory!' "'Tell us what the Master has been doing!' urged Aaliel, after the men had been refreshed by food and water. First one and then the other told the miracles they had seen, and repeated what he had taught. Even the children crept close to listen, leaning against their father's knees. There has been much discussion about the kingdom that is to be formed. While we were in Peter's house in Capernaum, some of the disciples came quarreling around him to ask who should have the highest positions. I suppose those who follow followed the longest think that they have claimed to the best offices. What did he say? asked Abigail eagerly. Phineas laid his hand on Ruth's soft curls. He took a little child like this, and set it in our midst, and said that he who would be greatest in his kingdom must become even like unto it. Faith and love and purity on the throne of the Herods. cried Martha. Ah, only Jehovah can bring such a thing as that to pass. Are you going to stay at home now, Father? asked Jesse anxiously. No, my son. I must go on the morrow to carry my report to the Master of the reception we have had in every town, but I will soon be back again to the Feast of Tabernacles. Carry with you our earnest prayer that the Master will abide with us when he comes again to Bethany, said Martha as her guests departed. No one is so welcome in our home as the friend of our brother Lazarus. The preparation for the Feast of the Tabernacles had begun. I am going to take the children to the city with me today, said Reuben one morning, to see the big booth I am having built. It will hold all our family, and as many friends as may care to share it with us. Jesse was charmed with the green tent of green bows. "'I wish I could have been one of the children that Moses led up out of Egypt,' he said with a sigh. "'Why, my son?' asked "So that I could have wandered around for forty years, living in a tent like this. How good it smells, and how pretty it is! I wish you and Grandmother would live here all the time!' Next day, Phineas joined them. It was a happy family that gathered in the leafy booth for a week of outdoor rejoicing in the cool autumn time. "'Where's the master?' asked Abigail. "'I know not,' answered her husband. "'He sent us son before.' will he be here i wonder she asked and that question was on nearly every lip in jerusalem will he be here asked the thousands of pilgrims who heard of his miracles and longed to see the man who could do such marvelous things will he be here whispered the scribe to the pharisees let him beware will he be here muttered caiaphas the high priest then better one man should die than the whole community perish the sight that dazzled the eyes of the children that first evening of the week was like fairyland a blaze of lanterns and torches lit up the whole city in the court of the women, in the temple, all the golden lamps were lit, twinkling and burning like countless stars. On the steps that separated this court from the next one stood three thousand singers, the sons and daughters of the tribe of Levi. Two priests stood at the top of the steps, and as each gave a signal on a great silver trumpet, the burst of song that went up from the vast fire seemed to shake the very heavens. Harps and psalters and flutes swelled with the rolling waves of the organ's melody. In the sound of this music, men marched with flaming torches in their hands, and the marching and a weird torch dance were kept up until the gates of the temple were closed. In the midst of all the feasting and the gaieties that followed, the long-expected voice was heard in the arcades of the temple. The child of Nazareth was once more in his father's house about his father's business. On the last great day of the feast, Joel was up at daybreak, ready to follow the older members of the family as soon as the first trumpet blast should sound. In his right hand he carried a citron, as did all the others. In his left was a palm branch, the emblem of joy, an immense multitude gathered at the spring of siloam water was drawn in a golden pitcher and carried back to be poured on the great altar while the choir sang with thousands of voices and all the people shouted amen and amen when the days had gone by in which the seventy bullocks had been sacrificed and when the ceremonies were all over and the leaves were stripped from the green booths and the people scattered to their homes long afterward jesse remembered only the torchlight dances the silver trumpets in the crowds and the faint ringing of the fringe of bells when the priest's robes as he carried the fire and the golden shovel to burn the sweet-smelling incense. Joel's memory rang often with two cries that had startled the people, one when the water was poured from the golden pitcher, it was the master's voice, "If any man thirst, let him come unto me." The other was when all eyes became blazing lights, "I am the light of the world." Reuben thought oftenest of the blind man to whom he had seen sight restored, but Lazarus was filled with anxiety and foreboding. Through his office of scribe, he had come in close contact with the men who were plotting against his friend. Dark rumors were afloat. The air was hot with whisperings of hate. He had overheard a conversation between the temple priests and some of the chief priests and Pharisees. "'Why did you not take him as you were ordered?' they demanded angrily. "'We could not,' was the response. "'For never man spake like this man.' He had seen the mob searching for stones to throw at him. Though he had disappeared out of their midst unhurt, still Lazarus felt that some terrible disaster was hanging threateningly over the head of his beloved friend. End of chapter 11 Thank you for listening to another episode of Acresalt Story Classic.